0: Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily.
1: This is Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast, which right now, because the Premier League season has finished, isn't quite daily. But we're still covering off all the big events, all the big matches. We're building up to the European Championships when we will be back every single weekday. And we'll bring you the latest news, views, transfers from right across the Premier League. I'm Jim Salverson. On today's podcast, we've got Leon Blanche from Boyle Sports with us. How are you doing, Leon?
2: I'm doing great. Looking forward to a massive day of football. Uh, we've got, obviously, the richest game in football, which is the Championship Playoff. And then we've got the biggest game in Europe, the Champions League final. So a lot to look forward to. It's
1: a massive weekend. We've got Marley Anderson on the pod as well. How are you doing, Marley? Uh, yeah, good morning. I'm, I'm bloody awful. <laughs> um, I got,
0: I got the actual oh the biggest dead leg I've ever had playing football last night, and I can barely move this morning. Wow! So I've managed to, uh, to, I had to sort of lower myself down like an old granny getting downstairs <laughs> when I got down the stairs this morning. And then I had to go back up because I left my laptop. Oh, it's all, it's just a nightmare.
1: I have to say, I'm, I think dead legs are the worst injury in football in terms oh, of are, not man. not in terms of how much they hurt, in terms of the the credibility that they have because you hear like a player is out for two weeks or something with a dead leg and a, a dead leg is the kind of injury you got in the school playground <laughs> it's not the kind of thing that a professional football player gets yeah. to knock him out for two weeks so you, you're getting no sympathy for me today on the <laughs> podcast we are going to be talking about Mauricio Pochettino who potentially might be making a move back to Tottenham Hotspurs but he has to compete with a few other big names as well because Conte, Zidane both out of work at the same time and both linked with a move to London at the moment. We'll discuss that shortly. Later on in the podcast, we're going to be speaking to Everton, Scotland and Chelsea legend Pat Nevin, who's got a brand new book out called The Accidental Footballer and it felt appropriate to get him on ahead of, as Leon said, one of the biggest games in world football. The Champions League final takes place this weekend and that's where we're going to start. It's Manchester City versus Chelsea. It is a massive game for both. Teams, maybe more so for Pep Guardiola, given the pressure on him to win the Champions League. And if you fancy a dabble on this weekend's games, then our buddies over at Boyle Sports are offering you a deal. If you stake £5 on City versus Chelsea in the bet builder, you get a £5 free bet to use in play in the same game. So if you fancy taking advantage of that, you can find it in the Boyle Sports app or you can. Visit boilsport.com. T's and C's do apply. 18 plus and please bet responsibly. Be Let's focus on the game though because on Wednesday we saw Villarreal contain Manchester United in the Europa League final. Game went to penalties. We know exactly what happened there. Can City or Chelsea learn anything from that game, Leon? If we cast maybe Manchester City in the Manchester United role and Chelsea in the Villarreal role because I think it's going to be potentially a case of Chelsea containing Manchester City or does that maybe downplay a little bit the attacking prowess that Chelsea do have going forward?
2: Well I think most teams have to try and contain Man City such as their dominance in possession in nearly every single game that they play Um, but Chelsea under Thomas Tuchel they've got two victories against City um, and I thought they were really impressive especially in that 1-0 semi-final victory in the FA Cup. They they seem to nullify the areas that City like to target. Um, and Chelsea, even though they got a little bit lucky, I felt that the Etihad of Sergio Aguero had scored that penalty. City had created enough chances, I thought, to put the game to bed quite early. But Chelsea will take a lot of confidence from that fact that they've played twice under Tuchel and they've won twice. But Manchester City, this is a date with destiny almost for Pep Guardiola. Um, since he's left Barcelona, he hasn't been able to get another Champions League winner's medal. And mm-hmm. here comes the ideal opportunity. City look to have a full strength squad to choose from. Um, and Phil Foden, for me, as we've talked about a number of times on the podcast, I think he's going to be crucial to Man City's chances. It's it's looking at how do City set up. Do they go with the kind of three up front of Mares? Foden and Bernardo Silva which seems to be the three he's used in the semi-finals against PSG and then Chelsea we are hearing that Kante is going to be all right but is he all right that's a big question mark because I think he is crucial to Chelsea's chances he is their best centre midfielder by some way in my opinion and if he is okay that's a big plus but Chelsea While they do possess that counter-attacking threat, they do miss more chances than they convert. Um, I think with Chelsea, they will go at pace up front because I think that is the way to try and get at City on the counter-attack. But I think this is going to be a very tactical game. I do believe that Tuchel will sit in. He will make it extremely difficult for City to try and break them down. And I have a feeling we're going to see a very similar game to the one we saw at Wembley when Chelsea won 1-0. I think it's going to be very, very tight.
1: Which isn't what we want, isn't it? We want free-flowing attacking football. We want like a 4-5 or something along those lines. <laughs> How do you think City are going to set up for this one, Marley? I think Leon picked the two key areas to look at there. One is Phil Foden. Is he going to start ahead of maybe the likes of Raheem Sterling, Who so it's youth or experience, I guess, to a certain extent. I mean, it'd be a hell of a story if Phil Foden starts in the Champions League final, considering at the start of the season, some people were even questioning how much game time he's going to get this season. And the other question is, does Pep Guardiola pick a striker? They've played most of the season without a striker. They've got Sergio Aguero fit now, so he is available. But then you saw him play at the weekend, coming off the bench, scoring two. It looked very much like a farewell. So I don't know if in Sergio Aguero's head, he thinks he's starting the Champions League. So how do you see that panning out?
0: Uh, I think... I think we've we've seen Pep learn from his mistakes in the past in the Champions League. Um, I mean, think back to the game last year when uh, they played Leon, um, and it ended up with, there was a weird formation and everyone thought, well, what's he done here? And I think this season he, he tends to have focused on a little bit more what Man City bring to the table rather than what the opposition bring to the table. So I think we're going to see the same formation we've seen when when. He's needed it uh, in the last few weeks in the Premier League. So probably go with, you know, Rodri, Gundogan and Bernardo in midfield and then Foden, uh, Mares and De Bruyne are up front as De Bruyne in the sort of false nine position and, and have them start without a striker, which is crazy to say. It never gets less uh, less weird that Man City can be so good without a striker. But, <laughs> you know, when you have that much possession and De Bruyne can, can hit a ball probably twice as good as anyone else in the Premier League, you know, you're uh, you're looking at a seriously dangerous team, but the interesting thing is, I mean, the the two times Chelsea have played Man City, they've won both games. But Man City's lineup has been weird. Um, in the in the FA Cup, they played, um, I think they played three players that played the um, Champions League game in the in the following week. So, for example, like Stefan was in goal. You had. Um, you know, squad players coming in, Ferran Torres, I think Jesus started and he hadn't been started in the league. Um, and then I'm just looking actually at the the league game where where Chelsea won with Marcos Alonso's goal in the 92nd minute. And it's just, I still can't work out the team now because I'm looking at it. There's Diaz, Laporte, Ake and Mendy and Cancelo, which kind of suggests a back five. But then there's Jesus and Aguero up front. Which is the two strikers? So you'd think that there'd be three midfielders, but the other three players on the team are Sterling, Torres, and
1: Benjamin Mendy, and none of them are midfielders. Do you think there was not any element of those games? Pep Guardiola starting like starting those mind games and kind yeah. of going, keeping too called guessing to yeah, a certain extent. 100%. I mean, that's, it, it's really, it seems always crazy. <laughs> yeah, definitely because I
0: think you know the FA Cup spoke for itself. I think the FA Cup was. Pep sticking with his FA Cup team and the one that had got into that stage and, and what have you. Um, and they got shocked there. And then the second game didn't really mean anything in terms of Man City's league position, so they could kind of afford to lose it. And we were saying in the build-up to it, do you, do you play strong and, and get that psychological um, we've won one, you've won one into the Champions League final type of thing? Or do you go with a weaker team, almost let him have the win if it comes, um, and then surprise him with your strongest team in the Champions League final, and, and he went for that option. I think. I think. I think he's going for that, and I think that's what um, the best route is. To be honest, because I think if you play Man City and you, and you get shocked by how good they are, you only want that shock once. You only get that shock once because you know you you you're thinking, oh Christ, Foden's the there and De Bruyne is dropping into this fake position where we're not quite used to who marks him. Does Kante mark him? Does one of the centre-backs step out and get him or, you know, what happens and all the fluidity can cause a problem, but if you've had 90 minutes or 180 minutes where you're used to that already, you get a feel for it and you can plan for it, and I don't think Tuchel can plan for it, because he hasn't seen the the style and the, and the the formation and the personnel that Pep's going to play, I think, on Saturday he hasn't seen them in the flesh, you've seen them on tape but you can't prepare for it as well as, uh, as you can if you've seen them in the flesh and you're chasing them around for 90 minutes so, I think he'll go what it as with what he's had for the last few weeks in in terms of the uh, the league lineups,
1: um, and we'll see we'll see if it works. That makes perfect sense, Marley. But the thing about Pep Guardiola, as we know Leon, is he does weird things when it gets to the sharp end, particularly in the Champions League. It, it, it's a cliché to say he overthinks it, but that's the only explanation for some of his selections down the years, and it must be a result of the pressure that he feels as a manager going into these games. How does he get over that? How does he go with what he knows, as Marley says? Because that, that seems to be the sensible option. And when he does overthink it, and it's easier to highlight the occasions when he's overthought it and changed his line and it's not worked, than it is to highlight the occasions when it has worked. It's probably about even, all be, truth be told. But does he just need to get over those concerns in his head, those kind of niggling doubts where he goes, I need to do something special. I need to try something different.
2: I think he's got to go with what he knows um, and it's as simple as that. I don't think he's going to try and pull a rabbit out of the bag for this final because there's no point in trying to break something, or sorry, to try and fix something that's not broken. They were brilliant against PSG in the two legs in the semi final, totally deserved their place in the Champions League final. They dominated PSG, bar maybe the first half an hour in that first half over in Paris, but the rest of it was just plain sailing. And with that kind of, whether it's Bernardo Silva, whether it's De Bruyne playing that false nine, it's because of the possession that they have. And they just dominate possession against so many teams. The fullbacks are given license to get forward as much as they want. And that's going to be very intriguing for me, is who does Thomas Tuchel start on the right side and the left side? Um, he has been chopping and changing quite a bit uh, between whether it's Reese James, he. He kind of put him back into the right side of a back three um, in the last couple of games in the Premier League. That didn't work. Um, I definitely think Reach James is better as that kind of right wing-back, if you want to call it, for Chelsea. And then over on the left side, does he start Chilwell or does he start Alonso? Because I think down the wings, um, that could have a big bearing on this particular match. Um, Which which kind of wing-backs, if you want to call them, that are able to put the other on the back foot? Which one can get on the front foot as soon as this game opens up. But I think Guardiola is going to stick to what he did in that semi-final. Why shouldn't he? Um, Sergio Aguero, he's a great weapon to have coming off the bench. We all saw in the, in the last league game against Everton, comes off for what was it, 25 minutes, scores two goals. Aguero is a big game player. And to have him in your squad, on your bench, if it's not going well and you need a goal, there's probably nobody better ...to bring off the bench than him... ...because if he gets a chance... ...more than likely he's going to finish it... ...I think Pep sticks to what he knows... ...I think Tuchel will stick to his formation... ...of 3-4-3... ...but it's going to just be an intriguing final... ...I hope it's an open one... ...but I fear it won't be... ...I think if Chelsea try and play open football... ...they will get beaten... ...and get beaten quite comfortably by Man City... ...you cannot afford to go toe-to-toe with City... ...probably the only side who's done that... ...over the last couple of seasons... If you eliminate this season, maybe the one-all draw at the Etihad between City and Liverpool, where both teams were like two heavyweights, slugging it out, going toe-to-toe for that first half. It was some of the best football I've watched. But over the last number of years, they've been the two sides who can play an open game, who can go and attack each other. I don't feel Chelsea have the players or the capability to play an open Champions League final.
1: How do you think Chelsea are going to deal with this on an attacking front Marley because as Leon said before, they're a team that make chances but they're also a team team that miss chances, it seems like Tuchel has faith in Werner he continues to play and Mason Mount would be as close as it gets to a safe pick as well but what front three do you think we're going to see Chelsea lining up with in this one?
0: Uh, I think we'll probably go with Werner, Havertz and Mount um, so Mount and, and Havertz supporting Werner Um I don't. I still think this is this is the issue for Chelsea. Um, sorting out the. I don't think Tuchel fully knows his best team, um, because I mean I think if if he knew his best team, we'd all know it as well. Uh, I don't think we do that. Um, I think the formation he plays is is a bit strange, in terms of I don't think it gets the best out of the most players at, at once in the Chelsea team. I think if you're looking at, um, I think he's basically done it to get as many attacking. Players in it as possible, so he's he's doing it. He's playing this way to get the best out of Havertz, who's uh, you know he cost what seventy million quid, and he's, he he needs to play as a number ten basically because I think he, at the start he played on a wing and it didn't really work. Um, he played as a false nine, he didn't score any goals. Um, so it's it's up to it's up to him to try and make the he's the key for this position. I think that that attacking midfield this formation, if Havertz plays, I think he's he's the one it's kind of built round. Um, but we haven't seen it this season enough. We haven't seen. I think he's got what, what was it, five or six goals all season or something like that. So I think he will probably go with him. But we've seen him miss chance after chance in you know previous rounds in the Premier League. Um, I think the game against Real Madrid it could have been more comfortable that he took. I think he had three or four chances over the two legs and he could have had, he could have had a hatful. Um, I think a couple he was. I think I remember him hitting the bar for example with a header. He couldn't really do much more about that, but. There was also, even even Werner's goal came from Havertz's missed chance and it hit the bar and dropped to Werner, but it's one of them where, you, if you, like Leon said before, you don't get many chances against against Man City, so if you do get them, you've got to stick them away because you're not going to think, oh, damn it, miss that one. I'll have another one in 10 minutes, hopefully, because it, it, it might just not come. You might not see the ball for the next 10 minutes if, if Man City get their game plan right, so... It's all down to to him really, and I think it'll be Werner, Havertz and and probably Mount as the attacking midfielders. I think Kante will be all right. I think he'll play um, alongside Jorginho. and then you've got the wing backs and and the centre backs, which pretty much you would expect pick themselves. You'd expect uh, James and and Chilwell to play with Aspillaqueta, Rudiger, and Thiago Silva as well. But we'll see what he uh, we'll see what it goes for. But I can see it being. No real surprises um, in the in the lineup. I think Pulisic will come off the bench, for example, um, and we'll see how if they can get it done. But it's down to Chelsea to take the chances because they haven't done that, even when they've been winning games. They've not been taking enough chances and scoring en- enough goals that uh, the general level of play and general possession stats sort
1: of dictate. Here's a little quiz for you before we wrap up our preview of the Champions League final. How many players across both squads have previously won the Champions League? How many winners' medals are there across that Manchester City team and that Chelsea team? I'm going to go with zero. Zero, says Marley. Leon?
2: Oh, God. Um, I'll go with one.
1: I tried to work this out and I might be wrong and I'm sure if someone gets, knows I'm wrong they will correct me very quickly on Twitter <laughs> so please do at the sports social but as far as I can tell looking at both squads the only person with Champions League final experience in terms of winning the Champions League final is Matteo yeah. Kovacic who's won it three times and that's it so with that in mind Leon how important is Pep Guardiola's experience going to be going into this game a man who knows what it takes to win the Champions League
2: yeah, look, it is important. Um, I think it helps. Um, uh, well, maybe I shouldn't say it helps because I know if City had a got Real Madrid, I, w- I would have absolutely fancied them off the charts to beat Madrid in a one-off game. Um, but they've got Chelsea, they know about them, and it's two sides that obviously face each other two times in the league. They've played in the FA Cup. But Guardiola, This is this is why he was brought to Man City. I heard an interview with him during the week that there's never been any pressure on him to win the European uh, Cup. I mean, I think that's nonsense. I think he was brought to Manchester City to win the biggest prize in in club football in terms of European uh, club football. And this is his date with destiny. There's been a lot of question marks about Pep since he left Barca. It didn't really work at Munich. He's been exceptional with Manchester City. Some of their uh, points tallies in the Premier League have just been off the charts. The calibre of football that they play at times is just breathtaking. Um, but this is a big game. They are favourites. And people say, oh, well, that doesn't matter. But it does. And players know their favourites. They know their favourites to win this game. and um, They've been backed quite heavily, actually, from even money into odds on. Chelsea are friendless in the market at the moment, all the way out to 7-2, to two, which to me... Sounds quite big. Um, Now that's obviously in 90 minutes. But I I just have a feeling we could be in for a long night. Um, Don't be surprised if this finishes a draw after 90 minutes. Um, I think Thomas Tuchel will look at Wednesday night's final. You mentioned at the top, Niall, with Villarreal and United. Unai Emrai was quite content to let it be a one-all draw. Was quite content to let it go to penalty kicks. And I'm not saying Tuchel will want that kind of risk... Of a, of a penalty shootout but I don't think he will be pressing as much to try and win the game if you know what I'm saying they just want to keep City at bay it's not easy to do that but I think Tuchel he has the capabilities as a manager to be able to actually get his side to play exactly the way he wants to play and don't forget he's already lost the final only last season so that's fresh in his mind and he will not want to lose back-to-back Champions League finals.
1: It's Going to be a fascinating game. I've instantly, my money is literally on Chelsea for this one. I put it on a couple of rounds ago for them to win the Champions League. So that's where I'm nailing my, that's the mast I'm nailing my colours to for this what one. What odds did you get, Jim? I can't remember what odds I got, but I didn't put very much on and it was a, a couple of rounds ago, but I know I, I, think I put some like three quid on and I'll get twenty five or something if they win. <laughs> it's not a bad return. It's not terrible, but um, it's not. It's not going to be. You're not going to suddenly not hear me on the podcast next week because I've retired either. So it, it doesn't go either way. Um, if you want to catch up on the action, if you don't get a chance to watch the game and you want all the reaction, then Fergal will be here Sunday morning. There'll be a podcast looking back at the Champions League final. Make sure you've clicked follow, click subscribe, so you get this podcast as soon as it's available. We're going to talk managers next because there's a few big names that have made themselves available recently the question is will they be going to Tottenham Hotspurs, we'll talk about that next on Football Social Daily Welcome back to Football Social Daily, we're talking managers now because three managers on the move over the last week or so Antonio Conte, Mauricio Pochettino and Zinna Zidane have all been made available or made themselves available and Tottenham, reportedly, are interested in all of them. <laughs> Whether that's at once or individually, I don't know. Um, let's start with Mauricio Pochettino here because obviously he has history with Spurs. He was replaced by Jose Mourinho. Now he could be the man to replace Jose Mourinho. Are you surprised, Leon, that Tottenham are potentially looking... To bring Pochettino back, considering the criticism he had in his time at the club and the lack of success he had in his time at the club as well?
2: It's just one that Spurs never cease to amaze me. They just make crazy decisions year after year after year. And even Pochettino now being talked about as coming back, he's favourite with ourselves to actually go back and be the next permanent Spurs manager. The one thing I will say about Pochettino is he has been able to build sides. I looked at the Southampton team and then I looked at even the Spurs side. Like When you look at the job he actually done with Spurs, I think they had a big squad. He wanted to sell on some of them. He wanted a transfer budget off the club. They didn't give it to to him. And then they were left with a lot of players that he didn't really fancy. I mean, you look at some of the players, like Pochettino, when he was probably at his best with Spurs, you had Danny Rose playing left full. At the time, he was one of the best in the Premier League. You had Kyle Walker right full. He got his move to Man City. And then you had um, the Belgian duo of Vertonghen and Tobey Alderweireld as centre-halves. And Spurs were really, really solid. Now, if he comes back to Spurs, do they give him the transfer budget that he's going to require? Because... I look at their back four at the minute. Um, I don't really see a lot of those guys having a big future at Spurs, if I'm being honest, maybe Regalon because he's young and he's um, he's a good attacking player. If Harry Kane leaves, he's going to have to try and replace 25-plus goals a season, which is not easy to do. Does he want to go back to Spurs now When when he left? You could arguably say the club was in a better position than when they are right now. And I'd be quite fearful for Spurs fans out there at the minute that if they don't get the right manager this time around, there could be big issues at that club. They are a million miles away from A, winning a Premier League and even B, qualifying for top four. This was a disastrous season um, for anybody who has anything got to do with Spurs. It was just, it was a catalogue of errors. I still question the decision to sack Mourinho A couple of days before a cup final. He's a master at getting teams um, to perform to their max in a one-off game. But he was let go. They brought in Mason. Nothing got to do with that young guy because he was thrown in at the deep end. But you looked at some of their performances. It was so up and down. They came from behind against Leicester to win 4-2. No one really saw that performance coming. Well, I certainly didn't. Having watched them get beaten by Aston Villa the previous week before it. But I just feel this is a crucial decision for Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. If they get this one wrong, this could put Spurs back at least five years, in my opinion.
1: Leon mentions that Pochettino might be cautious of going back into Spurs. Any manager might be cautious of going into Spurs. But the other question, Marley, is... Would Spurs fans want Pochettino back, given, like I said, what he achieved at the club the first time around? He never bought that silverware, never bought that trophy. And now he's been to PSG, where it's impossible not to win the league, and he's achieved the impossible. He managed not to win the league with PSG. Uh, (laughs) Do you know what? Yeah, I, I don't think there's a Spurs fan that wouldn't want
0: him back. I think if you look at what Spurs can attract, other than Pochettino coming back, I don't think that... I don't think they can, they can attract a, a world class manager now, because um, a world class manager might fancy the job, but then you say, oh, Kane's leaving, by the way, um, and then you you talk to Son, who's got two years on his contract, like I said a few weeks ago, um, and you say, is he going to stay if Kane goes? No, probably not, because so basically you've got, uh, you've got a, a an average to to good squad, and then you've got two stars that make it pretty average leaving, so. You know, where where do you go from there? I don't think a, a world class manager comes in and takes that job on when you're not in the Champions League and, and all the rest of it. You're in the the conference league going to, you know, Serbia, some back street in Serbia and on a Thursday night or whatever it is. So it's it's I agree with Leon, it's a massive, massive appointment this. Um and they've got to get it right. And I think I think is the safest option. I think he brings back where they were. It's a fresh start. Um, he's gone to to France and essentially failed. Um, but if if you judge Pochettino's time at Spurs the first time round, you'd probably say it was a success because they were better when he left than when he arrived. So you know he, he knows the club inside out. He can almost hit the ground running. You would say um, he can bring back players like Deli Ali, who's, who's still got potential to to be one of the best in the country. Um, you've got things to build on. Um, but it's it's knowing that, and I think there's uh, there's no better person out there than Pochettino, really. And I think, by all accounts, he seems open to it. Um, he seems happy to uh, to slink away from Paris after, after uh, achieving the impossible and losing to Lille. Who, uh, <laughs> do you know what? It's, even, it's going to be easy, even easier to win the, the league next year if he does stay at PSG, because Lille have, have got rid of the manager, they're selling one of the best players mm. to Leicester... And there's basically going to be no competition because they're going to be wiped out as well. So even if he does stay, I mean, if you imagine if he stayed and didn't win the league, that would be the most Spursy thing a a Spurs manager, (laughs) a former Spurs manager, has ever done. So yeah, it's a weird one. But I I don't think there's a better person out there than Pochettino for me. If uh, if you're a Spurs fan.
1: We mentioned some of the other managers that are available at the moment. There seems to be this glut of world-class managers out there at the moment. Conte, Zidane, as Marley said a minute ago. Christophe Gaultier at Lille, who deserves a mention because he won Ligue 1 over PSG, which shouldn't go underplayed considering the finances and the squad he had at his disposal. So those three names are suddenly on the market, along with Pochettino. If it's not going to be Pochettino, what are Boyle Sports saying about who will be the next Spurs manager? Is it one of those big names?
2: Well, look, I mean, I mean, Poch's favourite, uh, probably rightly so. As Marley said there, he knows the club inside out. But then you've got to look, I feel anyway, for this next decision. You've got to go for someone who's managed in the Premier League before. I think this is absolutely crucial. Now, you mentioned... The Lead manager who is available, he's a 25 to 1 chance um, to actually be the next Spurs manager. I don't see that happening. Roberto Martinez was talked about, he's seven to one. Antonio Conte is an eight to one chance. Graham Potter is still kind of hanging around there. I mean, he's a 16 to 1 chance, but I I, I don't think they're gonna go with Potter. I think all Spurs fans would want Potch back. Because of the job he did at the club first time round. And maybe he feels he's got unfinished business. But the one thing that they do need is they need funds to strengthen that squad. Because that squad, in my opinion, is no way near strong enough. If Kane leaves, which everyone believes he will, certainly the money from him will help. But I also think they need a lot of work done to make Spurs a challenger again. But the one thing with Pochettino is... His record at Southampton, his record at Spurs, he can identify players. He can make the players who are already there better, in my opinion. And players seem to really want to play for him. He has a great aura with all of his squad. Um, And I think for anyone associated with that club, he would be the best choice. If they don't go for him, I would seriously have reservations about the club as a whole and where they're going to end up.
1: Those latest odds, boilsports.com for them, T's and C's apply, 18 plus, bet responsibly and begambleaware.org. Some big names, Marley. Are we going to see many of them rocking up in the Premier League? Are we going to see Conte trading in Inter Milan for Crystal Palace, for example? (laughs) I mean, is is Zidane going to manage a newly promoted Brentford? I'm not sure. Do you think we'll see these players rocking up in the Premier League?
0: I think Antonio Conte has to Google who uh, Jordan IU is, to be honest, uh, if he was <laughs> I, gonna I, up there.
1: Do you know what? I think Conte would really work at Crystal Palace, <laughs> for what it's worth.
0: Imagine that. Uh, no, to be fair, I think a lot of these guys have left because they've got moves uh, in the pipeline. I think Conte is probably going to go to Real Madrid. Um, Zidane's left. He's the, he's the one who, I would say, who hasn't got... A, um, somewhere to go. I think he'll just sit and he maybe take the France job after the Euros. For example, I think they talk about Deschamps leaving, um, especially with Benzema coming back into the France mix. Um, so you're talking Conte to Real Madrid. You probably, uh, I think Conte is going to get replaced by Um, Simone and at Um, at Inter. Um, you're looking at Galtier's apparently talking to Leon about um, not, not Boil Sports Leon as in Olympique Leon in <laughs> France. Um, he's going to come and micromanage Leon at the Boil Sports <laughs> office and uh, shout, shout in his ear, yeah. Um, no, so apparently he's going there um, and then you, you're left with who's left, you know. Um, Zidane could even go to PSG, that'd fit, you know what I mean? Like mm. if, if Pochettino left, it could, it could just be one big merry-go-round. Do you wait right, Zidane as the manager?
1: Me? Do you think? Yeah. Do you think he's good?
2: Me, he talking to a guy who has Steve
0: Bruce as his bloody manager. What's <laughs> Zidane as a manager? <laughs> yeah. I think what yeah, Zidane do.
2: has do. done. Yeah, I mean, you've got, I mean, you know, to win as many Champions League finals as he has with Madrid. Now, people might say, look, you know, he had the squad, but it's another thing having the squad. But it's it's definitely a lot harder to get all them to play together, and he's obviously got that in his locker. Um, they're an ageing team as well. I mean, talk about rebuilding Spurs. Oh my God, how much is it going to cost to rebuild Madrid? They've got, you know, that's going to take a mountainous job um, to try and get Madrid they back haven't, to where. They have
0: spent for about two years, have they?
2: Yeah. No, no, because, I mean, they're in financial ruin at the moment. And, you know, that comment about Zidane for PSG, that could actually work if Poch leaves because he's French straight back in there. As you said earlier, Marley, he'll probably win the French uh, league title. He'll have a good run in Europe. And if it doesn't work out, Zinedine Zidane will probably end up managing France anyway. So it, it, it's there is a big merry-go-round. There's a lot of managers now out for play. But I think, looking at it, the one that really makes sense to me is Potch back to Spurs. Because they need someone who has stability. They need someone who knows the club. They need someone who's already worked with Daniel Levy because he's not the easiest to work with, as we all know. And they need someone who can hit the ground running immediately because this is going to be next season for this football club, I think is the biggest in a long, long time. Because if they find themselves outside of the top six, which is highly possible, which is really highly possible when I look at the other sides around them and strengthening already. I think Spurs could be in for a terrible few years if they don't get Poch back and don't get the squad rebuilt.
1: And you know what? I think it's one of those situations where Daniel Levy will know the value in terms of goodwill from Spurs fans if he brings back Mauricio Pochettino and with Harry Kane likely out of the club, maybe he needs a bit of that goodwill at the moment. This is Football Social Daily. We're going to talk to Chelsea and Everton legend Pat Nevin next, which seems appropriate ahead of the Champions League final this weekend. That's coming up on Football Social Daily. This is Football Social Daily. Delighted to have on today's podcast a Scotland legend, a man with over 100 games for Everton, with almost 200 games for Chelsea under his belt, Pat Nevin. How you doing, Pat?
3: Fine, fine. And I'm going to correct you right away. Oh, God.
1: <laughs> Go on, then. That's league games. Okay, uh, so how many games is it total if we count everything?
3: I, everyone does that because you always check up on wiki. And that one yeah, gives course. You 245 for uh, Chelsea and well over, I can't remember how many it is for Everton. Quite a few. Anyway.
1: Well, I, I guess it's part of the stuff you've been looking back over over the last few weeks because you've just had your brand new book come out. What's mm-hmm. it been like going back and looking over the quite phenomenal career you've had?
3: It was extraordinary because I've never looked back. It's it's like that in football. You have to look at the next game or the next couple of games or next season or look ahead. And the minute you look back, it's almost like the admission of oh, the old days were better. So you you're trained and it's almost Jesuitical, <laughs> and you get to uh, be a footballer that you never look back. So I I played a whole career, nearly 20 years, never looked back, never checked it, and I ended up doing this these other jobs like. An executive role and then became like, involved in the, the media side of it and then honestly, it was so many years later I thought quite right about that. I have to look at it and I was really surprised A about some of the things I'd done, but B how I thought, because I'd done some diaries so I could look back and then, but see how much fun it actually was writing. I didn't tell anyone was writing, I didn't talk to any publishers. I just thought, no nope, I'm going to sit down and write. And I completely lost myself in it. And it was so quick and it just spilled out. And it was an utter joy. So much so that I, I didn't stop. I'm still doing it. I'm still going. <laughs> but it was great fun.
1: You said there were moments that surprised you. Were there actually moments that you look back on pretty significant things that you'd completely forgotten? That it kind of took you back to that time?
3: Oh, yeah. Loads of them. <laughs> you know, specifically, I mean, you don't remember all the games. I played something like 850 professional games in my career you won't remember them all. There was no chance at all. And then it surprises you the things that stuck out, you know, the moments that stuck out. Some of them were, you know, really good goals or, you know, massive big games or, you know, making a great goal, that sort of stuff. But some of it was, that wasn't the important parts. The important parts were, I remember meeting a a man walking out at Stamford Bridge. I used to live nearby and I just walked to the ground and back. Mm. Change days for Chelsea players, I can tell you. And they just started chatting to me. And he said, oh, I out to see you today and it was uh, lovely to see and I enjoyed it and I was entertained and I don't get out much and I went oh really and uh, I went to chat to him further and he walked away that might have been the most important meeting I had in my entire career and I know it sounds odd but I walked the rest of the way home and I thought that's why I'm doing this so that I can entertain people that I may never meet but I can give some joy and I wasn't doing it to make money or to be famous in fact all those things were either secondary or of no interest whatsoever. I did it because I loved it. And it would be a good idea to give a little bit of joy back while I was doing my creative stuff. And that moment stuck with me because there might be other men and women like him that had a great day because, you know, hopefully I've done something that's entertained them. And so it wasn't just the big moments. It was mm. other moments that, that stuck with me that I hadn't thought about for years. And then I thought, wow, yeah, that was, that was kind of important. That changed me.
1: Do you think that's something that's missing from football nowadays, that kind of connection between player and fan? I remember reading Stanley Matthews' autobiography, and he talks about his England debut. And I know Stanley Matthews is a different era to you, (laughs) Pat. I'm not saying it's the same era, but in terms of, like, he would walk from his house his terraced house in Stoke to the train station to get the train down from Stoke to London to make his debut on the Wembley pitch it's the kind of like everyday stuff that modern players don't do and the further we've gone down the line the more detached I think modern football is from the people who actually consume that sport and this idea of it being a working man's sport do you think football really misses that connection
3: I actually think it's a choice I, I know people think it's odd to say it you don't have to live that life you know, that rarefied atmosphere and not dealing with society. Now, you're talking about Stanley Matthews. I'm 20, 30 years after him. Mm-hmm. The first time I went to Wembley to watch an England-Scotland game, I didn't watch. I played. And I got the tube back. Now, everybody else was on the team coach, but I thought, no, no, actually, I live in London. The game's finished. I'll just go walk to Wembley Station and get a tube back down to where I lived in West London. And you can actually be quite normal. Now, there are dangers in it, to be honest, and it's maybe a wee bit more difficult now with so much media. But in actual fact, if you are sensible and know the certain places where you really shouldn't go, they're too dangerous and they're a bit silly. You actually can live quite a normal life. And, you know, there are players, and I often talk about people like Juan Mata, you live a fairly normal life and go and see normal things and do normal things. So it's not totally a choice, but it's partially a choice. And they're kept away to some degree in that little bubble. And it's not just the fact that they can't relate to fans and it's becoming harder and harder for fans to relate to them they can't relate to reality sometimes. And that's a danger. That's a massive, massive danger. So it's interesting you ask me that question because all the way through the book, you'll say, I mean, I had this argument with all the players. My nickname at Chelsea was weirdo, right? (laughs) And I was saying to them, no, no, I'm the normal one. You lot are all weird. You don't get it. I'm the normal one. I do normal things. I'm just like everyone else. I'm not trying to be Mr. Big, famous, I don't think I'm extra special because I kick a ball they thought I was strange. But I honestly deeply believed that I was a wee bit more normal than them because I would live a normal life or as close to it as I possibly could. And I have come out at the end of it. And I'm, I think, fairly well balanced.
1: Was there an element, a part of the book, that you were tempted to maybe rewrite a little bit, that you you felt maybe awkward including or you wanted to reframe in a slightly different way, but you had to kind of overcome those
3: temptations in creating it? Do you know, it's a, it's a brilliant question. I'm, that is a fabulous question. It's one of the best questions I've been asked. And the reason why it's, a, it's the unexpected answer, no. And the reason why it's no is I don't mind putting myself in a, an unflattering light because I kind of laugh at myself. Mm. Um, I hope I generally behave quite well most of the time. But if something's unflattering in me, don't worry, I'll laugh at it. You go online and type my name in, the first thing that will come up is a penalty I missed. Now, I might have scored 150 goals in my career and created hundreds the first thing you'll see is a complete and utter disaster of a penalty kick. <laughs> and I'm really happy to write about it. And I wrote about that. And, and it was fun writing about it because people do take themselves too seriously. And one of my heroes is a guy called Humphrey Littleton, who's a, a jazz player, but also was anchor man in a, a comedy called... Uh, I'm sorry, I haven't played in Radio 4. And he used to say, whatever happens in this life, keep an iron grip on the ability to be silly because... Your soul gets dried. He called desiccated. You know, and another friend of mine, a girl called Heather O'Reilly, and she's a very, very famous American soccer player, world famous American soccer player. And we were chatting recently. And she's read the book and she says, You don't take much too seriously. And, and I said, You know, it's, you know, are only here for a short time. We've got as much joy out of it as possible. And she said a brilliant line. She goes, Yeah. None of us are getting out of this alive. But that is brilliant. I love that. Like, why did you not say to me before I wrote the book? I've <laughs> stolen it. So I will laugh at myself and I will see the negative things in myself. Maybe the most important thing which is related to that question is there's people I disagreed with in the game. There's people that I didn't get on with in the game. I will tell you why. But I will also understand their position and I will also take the time to get their position. And I think that's how you learn in life and that's how you grow. You don't get a set of ideas and just stick by them. You listen to people. You learn about other people's point of view and why they have that point of view. And I've kind of always been a bit like that. I really I have always been like that. And uh, there's a lot of stuff. And one of the people I didn't get on was a guy called David Speedy, who was one of the three of us who were the three-pronged attack at Chelsea. Who, In mm. our time, we were very famous. We scored a lot of goals and we were very successful. All of us became internationals quite quickly. But Steve Speedy and I didn't get on. But I didn't hide that fact. But I, and I absolutely wrote about it but also wrote about the fact that I made the efforts, big efforts to find out why he wants the way he wants. And in the end, I understood him. I wouldn't say it was ever my best mate, but I understood him. Mm-hmm. I took the time to understand him. So did I want to change anything? Nah, I just wanted to be straight
1: talk to me about the Euros that's just round the corner now. I won't ask you what you make of the job Steve Clarke's done, as he's your mate, and I'm not not (laughs) sure you'd be able to give me an honest answer, but I mean, I think the general consensus is he's done a really good job with that Scotland squad and obviously being at the European Championships is an achievement in itself, but what can Scotland do once they get there? Let's put the England-Scotland game to the side, because I think all bets are off for that one anyway, it's just going to be a battle, but can Scotland get out of the group? Then what can they do beyond that?
3: I'm actually surprised they actually managed to get this far because the limitations of the quality we have in the squad, just be honest about it. You know, Scotland for a long time hasn't qualified for competitions and there's a reason for that. It's not because we didn't have a good manager. It's because we didn't have enough good players. Period. That's it. So don't look for excuses. The fact that we got this far is we were on the edge and it was a battle and we scraped through and part of it was... You know, the team spirit, part of it was the, the perfect management of players from Clarkie, because he maximised the potential of a group which is not world class, but a great team spirit. He has to get the very very best out of them for every minute of every single game, and that's hard to keep on doing, it because he's done it all the way till here. Can they get out of the group? Yes, but they need to keep on doing that again, and they need to get lucky as well. And I'll be supporting them all the way, I want them to do it, but I actually think He's won a watch, and we've, we've won by getting there. But that's not how we feel when we're there. I was in European Championships in 92, and our group was a really easy one. Germany, the world champions. The Netherlands, the European champions. And Russia.
1: <laughs> and oh, no CIS problem.
3: Team, <laughs> as we were called then. And we had players like Van Basten and Hula, and I was playing against Andreas Bremer, who was the most famous fullback in the world at the time. But we didn't think, oh, we're going to get hammered. We thought, we're going to have a go, And we came very close. Very, very close. So am I going to write off the chances of this group? Absolutely not. We've got a chance, but we're outsiders.
1: When you're going into that kind of tournament, who do you want to play in the group stages? I'm thinking of not necessarily Scotland in this scenario, maybe a team like North Macedonia, who are qualifying for a major tournament for the very first time. But do you want to play the legends of the game? So going into this tournament, would you want to be facing your Ronaldos or the players of that ilk or do you want to play the teams that you feel like you've got more of an opportunity against if you're a professional player going into this kind of circumstance for the first time?
3: I would say if you were a good enough professional player you couldn't care less. Put them in front of me I'm going to be better than you. Does that sound terribly arrogant? If it does I'm, I'm, I'm sorry because that's the way you need to think mm. and I don't think I'm arrogant in any other part of my life but if you put me on a football field and I'm playing against the best fullback in the world which I often was it's Stuart Pierce, Kenny Sanson before him, it's Andres Bremer. I don't care. I think I'm better than you. I really do. As soon as I'm on that piece of grass. So you don't care who's stuck in front of you. You're there to be beaten. And there is a real joy if you actually manage to beat one of the very, very biggest teams. But it's hard, you know, and you need everyone to have exactly the same mindset. And I don't just mean the players. I mean management. They have to believe in it as well. So, you know, who do you want? Well, anyone just as long as we can be given the chance to have a go and try and beat them. And if Scotland have that attitude... I remember we used to go out for games and for Scotland and the manager, Craig Brown or Andy Roxburgh, would give us this big technical team talk and he'd maybe be a wee bit worried about the opposition because they were packed full of world-class players. And then they'd walk out of the room and we'd all say, oh, get lost, let's have a go at them. <laughs> <laughs> we really did say that. We just felt that way. Don't hold us back. And I think... Maybe we were held back a wee bit, my group, because the players in my team—I was playing for Chelsea and Everton. We were playing against Liverpool. We're Liverpool players in the team. That was the best teams in the world. Mm. Why would we be worried about anyone else? And that was our attitude, and that was the only attitude to have. Now we never got through the group stages, and no Scotland team ever has. But it doesn't mean that you won't. It's not always the very best team in history that does the best things. You need to have things falling in your in your path and using that luck. And using that situation when you can, and that's what Scotland have to do. So you don't care who it is; they're there, they're in front of you. You got to do them. You can tell my Glaswegian accent's coming back when I'm talking about <laughs> it, can you? <laughs> so
1: the lines like "We got to do them," yeah. You <laughs> can hear yeah, it.
3: Phrases I, I never use except when I'm talking about <laughs> Scotland, and the, it comes back out. Um, but yeah, that's how we feel about it. And when I mean, I'm going to be at all the games, I'm going to be at all Scotland's games. I'm fortunate enough to be covering them for uh, the BBC and. I'm going to try so hard to be fair and not be biased in any way, but I will feel in the England game. I can tell you now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Pat, absolutely a pleasure to speak to you. Good luck with the book. I look forward to reading it and really appreciate your time on Football Social Daily. It's been a pleasure. You'll be able to hear more from that chat with Pat Nevin on the Football Stories podcast, season two of which is out now. Not only more of that conversation you've just heard, but also you can hear from the likes of West Ham record signing and Wolves legend Matt Jarvis, Manchester City's WSL star Caroline Weir and Forest legend stopper Mark Crossley, who tells some brilliant stories about his time working under the great Brian Clough. You can find that podcast on the Sports Social Podcast Network. Just search Sports Social Podcast Network or search Football Stories wherever you find your podcasts. Don't forget, on Sunday morning, we'll have a full show looking back at the Champions League final. Have a great weekend. This is Football Social Daily.
3: Judy was boring. Hello.
1: Then, Judy discovered chumbacasino.com.
3: It's my little escape.
1: Now, Judy's the life of the party.
0: Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon.
1: Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs>